there's only one snack that can make me feel like I'm having the true movie theater experience, and that's popcorn. When my mom and I hang in for a girl's night, we have to get our fix, and that's where Kelly's Killer Popcorn comes in. They're a small batch gourmet popcorn company, and believe me, one bite and you'll be hooked. Made in Austin, Texas, this family-owned business has tons of flavors. My mom loves their salted agave caramel, while I have a hard time picking between black pepper or dill pickle. Hmm, maybe I'll just mix the bags together. Oh, and when my dad and brother crash our girl's night, you know that spicy nacho popcorn is coming out. Every flavor is popped in 100% real butter and is whole grain and gluten-free. Which flavor will you be choosing? Head on over to kellyskillerpopcorn.com to indulge yourself in some scary good gourmet popcorn. And make sure to tag them on Instagram at kellyskillerpopcorn so that they can see what movie you're pairing with their flavors. That's kellyskillerpopcorn.com for American-made, small-batch, delicious popcorn. I might be vegetarian, but that doesn't mean I can't enjoy a good spice rub. My favorite place to get them is Smoked Bros, a veteran-owned and operated business that sells premium handcrafted dry rubs, spice blends, and seasonings. Guys, you can even put it on your popcorn. My favorites are Honey Badger, because he doesn't give a bleep, and Jelly and Peanut Flavor Topping, because mm, 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 some things just taste better together. The website even has recipes, so go check out smokedbros.com to support a veteran-owned and operated business and fill your cabinet with delicious flavor. On the last episode of the Video Archives podcast, Roger and Quentin broke down the cult classic Dark Star. Part of what I love about Dark Star is that it's not perfect. This is bringing life and piss and shit and cum into the space world. And revealed the true history behind Uli Lamel's cocaine cowboys. This is who Tommy Sullivan is. He's obviously a drug smoker. This is why they're making the movie. And now we bring you the after show, your backstage pass to exclusive content, answers to your burning questions, and even more film discussion. I'm your host, Gala Avery. On this episode of The After Show, I'm unlocking the video vault, our backlog of full film discussions between Quentin and Roger that have yet to make it on the air. Let's open the vault and see what we find. Out of the vault, I present a discussion on Jerry DeLeon's Women in Cages. Meet the dirty dolls of Devil's Island. Women in Cages, the sensational new motion picture that rips the veil off the dirtiest racket ever conceived by the minds of vicious men. Starring Judy Brown, Pam Greer, Roberta Collins, Jennifer Gann, and many, many others. Innocent young girls held in cruel bondage. You'll meet them all in Women in Cages, in color rated R. Women in Cages with Co-Hit the Big Dollhouse will be playing September 12th on glorious 35mm film at the new Beverly Cinema, 7165 Beverly Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. For further information, go to thenewbev.com. The new Beverly Cinema, always on film. Before we jump into the discussion between Quentin and Roger on Women in Cages, let me fill you in on the story behind this recording. During our first session, we were still figuring out the show and weren't sure how many movies we were going to talk about per episode. 
You guys heard them talk about Dark Star and Cocaine Cowboys, but what you didn't hear was Quentin and Roger's discussion on two other movies. Those movies ended up being vaulted, but today I am so glad to report that I stole the video archive's key from behind the counter and I am unlocking the vault. What other movie did we talk about during our pilot? You'll have to stay tuned to a future episode of The After Show to find out. First up, as always, we have to read the back of the box. Roger's got this one covered, despite the difficult typeface. Women in Cages, directed by Jerry DeLeon. Quinn's going to tell you all about him. I'm just going to read the back of the box yeah, really quickly just to, uh, I mean, first of all, the type on this box is like so small. It's the smallest typeface they could possibly pick. Like gold on black, like it's like really difficult to read. <laughs> And actually, there's a little. It's, no, it's like might as well be a catalog listing. Yeah, and there's on a, the back of. The box. Well, there's like a little generic <laughs> intro for the whole Roger Corman uh, series, which is like from the man who introduced us to Jack Nicholson, Francis Ford Coppola, Jonathan Demme, and Gail Ann Hurd. New Horizons Home Video is proud to present a collector series of Roger Corman's best loved productions, Women in Cages. An innocent woman is arrested for the possession of heroin. Her guilty boyfriend tells her to be silent and he'll get her out. She obediently says nothing in her defense and gets 20 years in prison. In prison, the head matron, a black lesbian American named Alabama, Pam Greer. Played by Pam Greer. Yeah. She takes pleasure in alternately loving and torturing the prisoners while paying a local bandit gang uh, to retrieve escapees. The gang tortures the escaped prisoners and brings them back dead for the rewards. Ultimately, three of the main characters, one is Alabama's former lover. They're really pushing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Escape and take Alabama with them as a hostage. Tracked by the gangs that she once hired, Alabama and her lover are on the run for their lives. This woman prison's epic serves up action-packed, juicy fare and shows Pam Greer on her heyday best. Voila. Digitally remastered. <laughs> 1971. Color. One hour and 18 minutes. Action. <laughs> action. Put okay. that in your action section. Action. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> put it in your action section. I put it in the exploitation section. <laughs> when discussing women in cages, Quentin and Roger made sure to leave the discussion spoiler free. As Roger puts it, this is a movie you deserve to give yourself to. Here's a clip all about the making of Women in Cages and Pam Greer's start in the industry. I was delighted to uh, 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 watch this movie with you because uh, it was so much fun. Yeah, I'd seen it. I'd seen it years before, uh, but I've only seen it once. But I always really liked it, and the reason I liked it is because of the ending. Uh, the ending is, I think, very powerful and very strong. It's sublime. And I don't know anybody else who's seen it, so I was finally happy to finally I could. Watch a movie with uh, 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 somebody else, uh, and who can who can appreciate it. And I will have to say that I it wasn't the ending is still powerful. It wasn't as powerful as I quite remembered it being, but it's still very very it's still very good. But one one of the things I think that stands out in the film is um, it has a very very unique tone, uh, especially for one of Roger Corman's New World films, and especially for one of his Women in Prison movies. It's it's a different animal than most of the the New World Picture films because it's so pessimistic. It's so mm -hmm. cynical. Well, that, that rape gang, they're going to catch you. Yeah. They're going to rape you. Mm -hmm. They're going to kill you. Yeah. And then they're going to bring you back and get the money. And get the money. Yeah, and get the money for your that, dead that's body. That's pretty darn nihilistic. <laughs> that's yeah, it, like dark. No, it's, it's completely nihilistic. And the thing is, uh, 
Corman knew the different Filipino directors in Manila who had been exporting some films uh, to America for uh, exploitation houses. Basically, it was uh, Cerro 8 Santiago and his uh, buddy, the director, Eddie Romero. Cerio, and uh, who I was friends with both uh, uh, Cerio and uh, Eddie, uh, got in touch with Corman. When Corman started New World Pictures, he needed a slate of films. You know, it wasn't just one or two. He needed about 12, all right, in order to start a slate. And so he he punctuated them with with a product he bought out of the Philippines. Uh, the Beast of Yellow Night was mm-hmm. one of them, Eddie Romero's movie. And also, Eddie Romero and Serio 8 Santiago, uh, they controlled the film industry in Manila. They could do anything they wanted there. They got access to the army if they needed tanks, if they needed helicopters. Needed You're making Apocalypse Now in the Philippines? No, you make a deal with Serio White Santiago and Eddie Romero, and they deliver the, and they deliver the helicopters mm-hmm. to you. And so basically, anybody who's making a film in Manila, Eddie and Serio can make it cheaper because they know everybody. They have the access to the equipment. They just, they know what they're doing. So they got in touch with Corman. And they go, hey, look, we've got a really great idea. Why don't you send an American director and some American cast and we can make a really exciting jungle picture over here. Everybody else will be Filipino. All the other, the, the, the extras, the crew will be Filipino, but we'll, but we'll have American stars. We'll have an American director. We'll have an American script and you'll have a, you know, an American looking um, uh, jungle adventure that has a lot of production value. Mm-hmm. And then the idea is that once the uh, actors are over there, Corman's whole philosophy was, if I'm spending money to put people on a buying airplane tickets and sending them to a location that has picturesque locations, if the locations are that special and my biggest outlay are the plane tickets to get the actors over there, then I might as well make two movies while I'm there. The movie I'm, I plan on making and a cheaper one so I can utilize these great locations rather than just shooting up and down Bronson Canyon. Yeah. And so he did that before with, uh, in South Dakota, in the snowy hills of South Dakota with his film, uh, Ski Troop Attack, then uh, piggybacking on that, uh, Monty Hellman's Beast of the Haunted Cave, when he did the Young Racers and they ended their European shoot uh, in Ireland. Then he had uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola make his first, not his first feature actually, but Dement- what he calls his first feature. Yeah, Dementia 13. Uh, Dementia 13. Uh, they shot it in Ireland. This was the same idea. So Pam Greer, who worked in the the offices of New World Pictures, he talked her into going to the Philippines and being in this movie. She's never, she, apparently she's, she's in some scene, some party scene in um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, but I've never seen her. Uh, So this is really her first acting gig. Uh, In fact, she even said, if I'm going there to do these movies, if if it doesn't work out, if you don't think I'm a good actress, then I want to be able to get my office job back. (laughs) And he goes, don't worry, you get your office job back. In fact, you have to. Take your job back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he starts an experiment with this whole thing. So he uh, he starts it off with two movies. One of them is Jonathan Demme and Joe Viola's second movie, which is The Hot Box. Yep. And then he also sends Jack Hill along with uh, Judy Brown and Roberta Collins and Pam Greer to do The Big Dollhouse. So those are the American shot in the Philippines movies that they do. But Pam Greer doesn't leave for the price of one plane ticket. She does three movies. So after the Americans are done doing their movies, Eddie and Serio set up a movie for uh, their mentor, Jerry DeLeon, to do, and that's Women in Cages. And then they just turn around and do uh, Black Mama, White Mama, 
that Eddie, Eddie Romero directed with Margaret Markoff, who was the star of uh, The Hot Box and Pam Greer. So basically, for the price of just those plane tickets being the biggest outlay, they got five movies. It's amazing. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. The genre of women in prison is an exploitation favorite. It's impossible to discuss women in cages without comparing it to another movie from the same genre, Jack Hill's 1971 film, The Big Dollhouse. Also produced by Corman and starring Pam Greer, Judy Brown, and Roberta Collins, Quentin and Roger discuss the differences between these two movies that look the same on paper. Now, the thing that's interesting about women in cages it's pretty much the opposite number movie for The Big Dollhouse. It has the three main stars of The Big Dollhouse, Judy Brown, Pam Greer, and Roberta Collins. Except the movies could not be more dissimilar. The Big Dollhouse is a fun action-adventure movie that pretty much plays like a comedy and is pretty hysterical. It's a very, very funny movie. It also works as a genuine adventure movie. You get really caught up and the action of it all, and it's, 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 a, it's a lot of fun. Now, Women in Cages is almost the exact opposite. There's hardly any comedy in the movie. The movie is very nihilistic, and it's, it, it's, it's very rough. There's a roughness to it. There's a, a hard aspect to it. Now, let me explain who Jerry DeLeon is. He was a very, very well-respected director in, in the Philippines, and he did other movies that could be labeled exploitation movies. The first Filipino horror movie to come out of the Philippines to play in American theaters is a film that, uh, that they produced that Jerry directed called Terror is a Man, which is the first of their wannabe Dr. Moreau mm -hmm. movies. So he only did one movie for Corman, Jerry DeLeo. And I asked Sarah why and goes, well, he wanted to give it a shot. He thought it was really interesting what we were doing and he wanted to try one. And he did it. And he liked it, but he didn't feel like he wanted to do them anymore. He thought this was, he did one and this one was enough. And I asked Corman, because I think the film is very, very well directed. And I asked Corman about it and he goes, oh, and Corman agreed. He goes, no, I think he did a very good job with this film. And I think one of the things, um, oh, look, I do like The Big Dollhouse better, and frankly, much better. Women in Cage is, is technically much better directed. Yeah, you know, obviously Jerry DeLeon is working with his normal crew. So it's not a bunch of guys that he's just met. He doesn't understand their language. He's working with a really professional crew that he's worked with a bunch of times. And you can tell it just has a proficiency. The, the scale of a lot of the shots and the way he frames them mm -hmm. and how he's making the most out of, yeah. I mean, the Philippines. Yeah. And how deep everything is. You know, he's yeah. putting people like mm -hmm. they've got scenes like Spartacus with, you know, the direction, they're making so much. The directions much of the extras in the nightclub alone oh, yeah. puts it in a different class sure. when it comes to filmmaking savvy yeah. and everything. But the reason that I respond especially to women in cages so much is because 
of all the Filipino-backed movies that that Corman did, including the Eddie Romero ones and including the Ciro H. Santiago ones, it's the most like a Filipino film. It could have been done in Tagalog if they didn't have the Americans running around. Um, and what do I mean by that? Well, obviously it's a women in prison film, but this black market prostitution angle is as important. Well, as it, as the movie goes on, it becomes even more important mm-hmm. than the women in prison stuff. But see, that's those are classic genres out of Filipino movies. All right, a lot of Filipino, a lot of popular Filipino uh, melodramas are about uh, uh, a brothel and the bunch of, and the prostitutes that 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 work in the brothel and and all their little individual stories, how they got there, what what do, what are their hopes and their dreams, split up between three or four different women. That's a that's a subgenre. That's their version of a of a of a melodrama, of a soap opera, of of a tearjerker. Uh, uh, movies about a bunch of taxi dancers, mm-hmm. which taxi dancing was going on to this day, actually, in, in, in Manila. A bunch of taxi dancers uh, uh, working at a dance hall and their lives and whatever. And, and also prostitution in the Philippines is not illegal. It's not treated as this weird aberration of society, nor are the women who practice it treated in a second-class citizens kind of situation. It's a function. It's a simple... It's, a, it's, a, it's, 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 it's as above board as any country is going to make it. The way the movie maneuvers its characters to end up in this brothel, and especially the final shot, is very much like Filipino cinema, but it's all about the closing shot. The closing shot is what delivers the movie. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, like I said, the first time I saw it, I thought it packed even more of a punch because I felt I, w- I was feeling the, uh, 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 the setup for that closing shot throughout the whole movie, and I still do. Yeah. Maybe not as strong as I felt at the very first time when I didn't know what to expect. But the end still packs a punch. And the minute the end happened, you went, oh, wow. You, yeah. re- you reacted out loud. Yeah, it was, it was, well, it's like getting punched in the gut yourself. Uh, it's just a powerful moment. And it makes sense as far as character. Everything that happens to the other characters mm-hmm. ends up making a, a thematic sense. The whole movie has been set up so perfectly thematically yeah. for that ending that you don't see coming at all. Everybody knows about Quentin Tarantino's love for Pam Greer, but the most loyal fans will also know about his love for actress Roberta Collins. Before Women in Cages, Roger had never seen a movie with Roberta Collins in it before. Listen now as Quentin introduces Roger to one of his favorite actresses. The two discuss her importance in exploitation films and Collins' role in Women in Cages. Obviously, everyone knows I'm a big Pam Greer fan, but also I'm a huge Roberta Collins fan. I think she's one of the uh, most exciting actresses that appeared in both neural pictures and then just in exploitation movies of that era. Probably two of my favorite lesser known actresses of that era that are two, my two favorites are Linda Haynes yeah. from uh, Rolling Thunder and Roberta Collins, which is sort of almost like her drive-in s- little sister yeah, or something. And, uh, but I'm a huge fan of Roberta Collins. A lot of, uh, she's a, a staple in, in uh, a lot of women in prison movies. She's in uh, the big doll house in Death Race 2000, she's Matilda the Hun. Yeah. She's she, funny. She, yeah, she's the Nazi yeah. in Death Race 2000. She's the first victim of the crocodile uh, and Neville Brand in Eaten Alive. Yeah. And she steals the show in Jonathan Demme's first film as a director, Cage uh, uh, T. I have here, in Danny Perry's book, Cult Movies, Volume 1, he has a review of uh, Jonathan Demme's Cage T. And then he writes in his review, this is about Roberta Collins, 
Demi gives all his characters a sense of humor, and they all, the actresses, prove adept at comedy, especially Roberta Collins, a sexploitation film veteran who I hope someday will be cast in an A picture. She's talented and beautiful and deserves such an opportunity. Here, here. I yeah. completely agree. And I read Roberta for uh, uh, a few different things that I've done. She never got the part, but I always, but I brought her in uh, uh, quite a few times. And uh, this is not her best performance, frankly. I, she's good in the movie. She stands out. I'm not quite buying her junkie act. Okay, so I'm just going to interject a little bit because sure. we did talk about that a little yeah. bit. That, um, And you were almost apologizing for her in this movie, but- the truth is, I probably was, but I didn't mean to. I well, more this that this is different from her normal work, which yeah. is more comedic. No, yeah, and no, 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 that's very true. No, no, normally there's a comedic edge to her to all of her work. And this, in this, under Jerry, she's going dark. She's giving a dramatic, uh, yeah. you know, a deeply dramatic and kind of non-ironically dramatic performance. And I watched this. This is my first time seeing this film, uh-huh. and so I watched the movie. And okay. I'm not a Roberta Collins, or I wasn't a Roberta Collins yeah, yeah. fan uh-huh, uh-huh. before this, and I'm watching it. I just fell into her performance. Yeah. She, whole, I thought she was doing a great fucking job. There's a whole <laughs> bunch of gals in this film, and she's one of my favorites. I fell in and, love with her. She's vampy. Yeah. She's like- And you picked her out. You said, hey, who's this girl? Yeah. I go, oh, I, could, I was like, I was, <laughs> I was proud of her. I was happy. You picked her out of the crowd. I go, yeah, you're right. You got the, you got the right one. There you go. Roberta like, Collins. Like she's really like wrapped up in every, and everything that's going on. And you can tell this is like, this is her chance. Somebody's given her some meat mm-hmm. to work with. Uh, yeah. And she does. Yeah, and and uh, she was really good at comedy, but you're right. She doesn't play comedy in this. Well, oddly enough, there's a weird thing in the film because, um, uh, the central figure of the film, but the central figure is rarely the most interesting character in any of these movies, yeah. is uh, Jennifer Gann. She's very annoying <laughs> yeah. throughout the whole film. I actually think she gets better as the movie goes on, but nevertheless, she's annoying. Uh, especially because she's she's being railroaded by this guy, Rudy. <laughs> and they say, well, I can't wait to tell Rudy. Let's get Rudy. I go, shut the fuck up. Can't you see he's thrown you in goddamn jail? She's too stupid to realize that Rudy is the one that put her in jail. But Rudy's not so stupid to realize that at some point she's going to fucking figure it out. So he wants to bump her off, even though she's protecting him. He wants to bump her off in jail. So it turns out like almost all these girls are are, are connected to Rudy in some way or another. So they go and they- and They call Rudy's your boyfriend also? Yeah, that ends up turning out to be that. And, and so uh, uh, part of the thing about Roberta Collins' character is she's a junkie. And she needs to get uh, access to smack. And so they make a deal with her. They go, okay, look, if you kill this girl, the Jennifer Gann character, if you kill this girl, well, we'll give you some, we'll hook you up with smack. Uh, but like, you know, but then you kill her, then you don't have nothing to worry about. We'll, uh, we'll take care of you all the way and we'll get you, even get you out of here. And they go like, okay, uh, here, this is for you, which is a little packet of heroin. This is for her, which is a poison sandwich. <laughs> so she comes back into the uh, 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 the jail cell, and Jennifer Gansner goes, "Hey, I I got it. I got two sandwiches. Do you want one?" So she goes, "Oh, okay." She gives it to her, and she takes the sandwich, and she doesn't really quite eat it because she's just too depressed. It's like it's her first couple of days in the jail, she's really hungry. She's- yeah, she's not really hungry, so she just puts the sandwich down and falls asleep. When she wakes up. There's a fat motherfucking rat. I mean, as like fat a, as a cat. 
Yeah, it's a, a small cat. cat. Yeah, it's, it's like a small, small cat. It's cat. A plump small cat. And so they kill it, and it's just laying there dead next to the sandwich. They're like, oh, did the rat eat my sandwich? What was wrong with the sandwich? Then Roberta Collins does one of the grossest things <laughs> of, all, of all the movies we watched. Does the grossest thing, and that includes baby powder sex with uh, <laughs> Susanna Love. All right. She takes her bare foot and kicks the dead rat down the shithole that's in the floor. Yeah, literally the, I mean, the shithole. So the next person who has to use that shithole has to sit on top of a, a fat dead, rat. Dead fucking rat. <laughs> but the fact that she uses her own bare foot yeah. to kick it away. And it's a real rat. It's a real rat. And it's not like Rigor Mortis is set in on that rat. That rat is- No, like that rat was freshly killed. Plump and juicy and kind of like, like, a, like a water balloon. Yeah. <laughs> like a soggy water balloon. I mean, I think we would. Ah! All right, we, <laughs> Both we, of us we, reacted. We absolutely <laughs> reacted when it happened. That's no digital effect. That alone, she should get an Oscar as far as I'm concerned. All right, but uh, uh, aside from Pam Greer hamming it up as the warden, <laughs> Alabama the warden, the closest thing to comedy this film has is Roberta Collins repeatedly trying to kill Jennifer Gann and never quite doing it. It's as if Jennifer Gant is is uh, uh, the roadrunner and <laughs> she's Wiley Coyote. She keeps coming up with one plan after another to kill her and does it and just through sheer dumb luck. Literally dumb luck because that's how she's kind of almost playing. It. Yeah, she's- Jennifer Gant just doesn't get killed. It's almost like the when all the assassins go out to kill Clouseau and just through sheer <laughs> dumb luck, they end up killing each other or blowing up the fucking world, but, yeah. but he, he's unscathed. Okay, well, that's that's the closest thing to comedy and a plot that the movie has for a while. And and, and, and I'm rooting for her to kill her the whole way. I'm rooting, I want uh, 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 Roberta Collins to kill her. Want to watch Women in Cages? It's available on Amazon to rent. I bought my VHS for $10.99. Video Archives bought theirs for $59.99. Speaking of VHS tapes... Want to know more about the New Horizons VHS tape from Video Archives and the trailers before Women in Cages? Here's Quentin giving you the scoop. Uh, the only thing I will mention about the uh, uh, the video company, New Horizons Home Video, uh, the deal was back in the, uh, the beginning of video in the 80s, New World had uh, two really good I, I'm, uh, sweetheart deals. One based at, with uh, uh, Warner Brothers Home Video. And uh, through them, they released Death Race 2000, Cannonball, uh, The Big Bird Cage, uh, uh, Death Sport, uh, a, a bunch of movies like that. But then, then the rest of their catalog, they released through Embassy Home Video, right? which came out with uh, uh, The Big Dollhouse, all the nurse movies, The Velvet Vampire, things like that. Then when they started New Horizon and whatever was left over, they had a real sweetheart deal with MGM UA back when they used to have those great big MGM UA boxes. Yeah. Uh, and then when those Italians ended up owning MGM for a while, they ended up not paying Corman and Corman sued them. And it was Corman's lawsuit that made them file bankruptcy. So after all of that, after they, <laughs> there was no more sweetheart deals left. <laughs> Corman had the rights to all of his old New World pictures, so he just started New Horizon Home Video. Mm-hmm. And I will say, this is the first time I can say this about one of the films that we're showing so far. This actually has uh, uh, three trailers at the st- at the top of the tape, and they're three vintage 
theatrical New World trailers. So it starts off with the trailer for uh, The Big Bird Cage. Then it goes to the trailer for uh, The Arena with mm-hmm. Pam Greer and Margaret Markov and ends with the Women in Cages trailer, which I would rather not have seen before the movie started. They should have <laughs> had the, the Big Dollhouse or Black Big Bad Mama or something like that, but they didn't. Want to know about my opinion on Women in Cages? Quentin and I sat down and discussed my first venture into the exploitation genre and my experience with the film. I'm going to take you back to a time when Roger knew me and knew what was going on. But the year is 2014, Quentin. Mm -hmm. I'm 18 years old. Uh I just got my wisdom teeth out. Uh And on September 22nd, I watched my first ever black exploitation film, Mm -hmm. which was The Black Klansman. Oh, wow. That was your first movie. That was my very first. I stumbled upon it. Ted V. Mike's The Black Klansman. Yep. I watched The Black Klansman. I don't know how I found it, but I did. Mm September 23rd, I followed up with Women in Cages, which is my very first Pam Greer movie I ever saw. Oh, Women in Cages is your very first? My very first Pam Greer movie. Mm -hmm. And then I watched Sugar Hill that same night. Oh, wow. Women women in Prison double feature. Yeah, it was a big big September 24th, I followed up with The Big Doll House, which Mm -hmm. is my first Jack Hill. Uh Then I watched The Big Bird Cage. Then I watched Detroit 9000. So a little bit of a deviation, but not by much. No, no, that still falls in the black exploitation world. And then September 25th, I watched Death Wish for the first time. So not black exploitation, but I still am on this track. (laughs) And then September 30th, I watched my all time favorite black exploitation film, which is Brotherhood of Death. Oh, yeah. That is my all time favorite. But I went on a black exploitation kick. I fell in love and I never looked back. Yeah, good for you. But that was the first time I ever saw Women in Cages. Wow. And I rewatched it. And I'll just tell you this. Jennifer Gann, who plays Jeff, is annoying. She will always be annoying to me. I will always dislike her. I will always be screaming at the screen, let the girls fight. I want to see the girls fight. I want to see Pam punch someone or someone punch Pam. And there's something just so fun about watching Pam Greer beat up a white woman. Yeah. I can't describe it. It's just true. Minimal hard labor, maximum sex torture dungeon. Before we sign out, there's just one more clip for all of you. We all know that Roger and Quentin met at Video Archives, but there's a lot of colorful characters that we don't know about yet. In this never-before-heard clip, Roger and Quentin discuss that a character from Women in Cages reminded them of someone from their Video Archives past, one of the silent partners of Video Archives, Dennis. I just have to say right now that Uh when we were watching this movie, two of the guys that I mentioned before who were the silent partners in the video store, Uh Dennis and Rick, Uh I think like they had some Filipino uh, <laughs> blood in them. And when I saw this Rudy guy in the movie, it was like, it was Dennis, you man. Said, hey, that looks like Dennis. I was like, Jesus Christ, it's well, Dennis. And, and he behaved and like by Dennis, the, well, too. By the he way, was a gambler. Well, Dennis, he used, a, Dennis used to be the... The the, uh, the card clubs or yeah, something. Yeah, he used to be one of the manager of one of the card clubs in Gardena. <laughs> so he actually is a Rudy type of character. He would show up at the store sometimes with like, you know a bunch of styrofoam containers full of roast beef and like potatoes from the card clubs. Yeah. Here boys, some roast beef and uh, everything. And then like, and then start doing like, let's play 21, you know, for a hundred bucks a hand. Mm-hmm. Like, I found a minimum wage. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't do that. You come in. He was a wild character. And when Rudy came in on this, I was like, Oh my God, it's Dennis. It's freaking Dennis. And that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in to the video archives after show. Have a burning question that you want the answers to? Make sure to write in for a chance to have your question featured on the after show. Next week, join Quentin and Roger as they discuss three new films. Want to know ahead of time what we're watching? Here's a riddle for all of you loyal fans out there. Try and figure it out. One movie is MGM's response to Star Wars. 
The next is a Soviet spy thriller starring a cowboy. And the third is a 1979 exploitation film directed by a man with the initials P.M. My name is Gala Avery, signing out. See you next time on the Video Archives After Show. Despite me sharing the same last name with this charity, I don't have any affiliation with it, besides the fact that the issue is very near and dear to my heart. Did you know that in the United States, 2.7 million children currently have a parent in prison, and it's estimated that 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives? I was one of these kids, and as an adult, I am really grateful to be able to give back to Project Avery. Their mission is to build leadership from within by supporting community through programs such as mentoring and outdoor education, and also to remove the stigma surrounding having a parent that's incarcerated. You don't have to feel alone. If you know a kid who could use these resources or would like to donate money or time to the charity, please go to Project Avery, that's A-V-A-R-Y dot org, to check out what this amazing charity is all about. Again, that's projectavery.org. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. Want to know what your favorite writers, directors, actors, and photographers are secretly interested in? Check out The Gala Show, where each week a guest of my choosing brings an entirely new topic to the mic, and it can be anything they want to discuss. The catch? They only have 30 minutes. Join me, your reporter on the beat, Gala Avery, every Thursday for a new discussion on The Gala Show, available wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 